<laughs> I've wanted to do clicker training with you for a long time. Welcome to Clock or Counter. I'm Ryan Young, and with me is James Wiseman. So I want to start a series about the mental aspects of freestyle. And today, I just want to focus on one piece, which James and I talk about a lot, which is growth mindset. So to start us off, James, why don't you kick us off with a definition of growth mindset? Okay, so the growth mindset is an idea that came out of the work from the psychologist Carol Dweck, who I think was a Stanford psychologist. And I looked up before the podcast a definition she gives for it. And it's a little bit of an interesting definition because it's there's really two mindsets. There's the growth mindset and the fixed mindset. And you kind of have to understand both to know what they mean. So the way she put it was, in a fixed mindset, people believe their basic qualities, like their intelligence or talent, are simply fixed traits. They spend their time documenting their intelligence or talent instead of developing them. They also believe that talent alone creates success without effort. Now for growth mindset, she says, in a growth mindset, people believe that their most basic abilities can be developed through dedication and hard work. Brains and talent are just the starting point. This view creates a love of learning and a resilience that is essential for great accomplishment. So long story short, people with fixed mindsets believe that they are who they are, their skills are what their skills are, and how they perform is an indicator of how skilled they are. Whereas growth mindset people believe that work is what leads to their abilities. And when they don't perform well, they use that as an opportunity to keep improving their skills. Does that does all that sound right to you, Ryan? Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. And is that the are those the definitions that you think of when you think of growth mindset, or do you have a different idea for it? No, that makes sense. That's what I think about. Yeah. Okay. So first let me talk the now about how I came across this. And let me ask you, so did you learn about the growth mindset from me or did you heard about it from somewhere else? No, the first time I heard about it was from you. Okay, so I'll talk about when I first learned about it because it's kind of an odd story. So when I was in law school, one of my really good friends, Sean Nadell, recommended Carol Dweck's book, which I think is called Mindset, which is all about the growth mindset. And I thought it was really strange to get this book recommendation because having your friend give you a book recommendation for a self-help book is kind of strange, right? Just feel like, hey, there's this really amazing book about how to have a better mindset. You should read this. There's almost something mean about it. Um, but it was t- totally in good faith. And I'm, I, to this day, I'm not totally sure why he recommended it other than the fact that he really liked it. And I think because I found it so odd that someone kind of out of left field recommended what sounded like a self-help book to me, like, because that was so unusual, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to read it and see what this is about. And it was pretty life-changing. I think it was, I think if I had to rank maybe the five to 10 most important books I've ever read in terms of their impact on my life, this is probably in the top two or three. And a couple of data points just to explain how powerful this idea is. And I'm going to get this, like a lot of this stuff that's not really in our wheelhouse, a little bit wrong, but there's some really incredible studies about the growth mindset. So for instance, there are studies where they go to schools and they prime children on the growth mindset or the fixed mindset. And they do this by either praising them for their intelligence or their work. So students will turn in work and the teachers will say, wow, like you must have worked really hard on this. And that's priming them for a growth mindset. Or they'll say, wow, you must be really smart because you did so well on this. And that will prime them for a fixed mindset. And there's a few things that consistently happen when teachers do this. If you are primed for a fixed mindset, you are much more likely to cheat, which is very interesting. You're much more likely to falsely report your results on something, which I guess is a kind of cheating, but a different take on it. And finally, and this one I think is the most incredible or most important, you will seek out less challenging material when you have been primed with a fixed mindset. And if you're primed with a growth mindset, everything's the opposite. You're less likely to cheat. 
you're more likely to be honest when you report your results on something and you will seek out harder challenges. And the reason this happens to kind of bring us back to the definition is if you are primed for a fixed mindset, you believe that your results or your success at a task reflects your abilities. And so it's more embarrassing and more problematic for you and your identity to have performed poorly, performed poorly, because that means to you and your fixed mindset that you aren't very smart or you aren't very skilled. Whereas if you have a growth mindset, you think, well, it doesn't matter that I didn't do well on this task now because this is a challenge. This, the fact that I didn't do well doesn't reflect my self-worth. I can work at this to get better at it and do better down the line. Make sense? That all makes sense. So now the question is, why is this important for freestyle? So I think it's important for everything, basically. I try to use growth mindset in all aspects of my life, and there's not really any limiting principle to it. There's no reason why you couldn't use it in freestyle or in school or at your job or in your personal relationships. But I think for a lot of freestylers, this is our main thing that we do. It's really important to us. And it's it's not that common for adults, especially, I think, to be learning new things. But most freestylers are learning new things. And most of their time spent learning is on freestyle. And so if you have this tool that makes learning more effective and more rewarding and more important, then it's something worth knowing about. And one thing I failed to mention about the growth mindset that's so interesting is that its effect can be as instant as I described in those studies, simply priming students with you must have worked hard or you must be smart can instantly change their results and can have very long-term effects. So just teaching someone the idea or the concept of the growth mindset can change the course of their life, honestly. So just by listening to this podcast, if you can (laughs) implement just this idea about freestyle, it will probably make you a better freestyler in the short term and in the long term. It actually says that directly in the book, that just learning the definition will change your life. Yeah, and for me, I think it's right. I I think... a couple more nuances to say is that it's not an all or nothing thing necessarily. So it's not that you're, I mean, first of all, whether your growth mindset is not a fixed mindset thing. So <laughs> it's not like you are a growth mindset person or a fixed mindset person. You can be either one, depending on what you learn about and how you think about yourself. You can change what you are very quickly. You can be in an in-between state. You can kind of have a little bit of both. You can have different states for different activities. Maybe you're really growth mindset about freestyle but you're really fixed mindset about work. And it's probably a good idea when you learn about this thing, this idea to kind of do a, I don't know, inventory of your life and think about the different things that you do and try to figure out if you've been acting more fixed mindset in some of them and seeing how you can change that. So for instance, when I first read the book, I thought a lot about when I was a drummer and musician in my adolescence and early adulthood, I poured my entire life into music. And I think at some point I developed a really fixed mindset about it. And I think that happens a lot to young people who are really good at something initially, because when you're young and you're really skilled at something, the the combination of age and skill is really tantalizing to people. <laughs> and people say like, oh, you're a prodigy. You're so good at this. You're going to be amazing. And they're usually praising you not for your work, you're young. You just started this thing. It just so happens you're really good at it. They're praising you because they think you're innately highly skilled and it can really burn into someone a fixed mindset. And I think that happened to me. And I think as I got older and with age came increasing expectations, but my skill wasn't necessarily keeping pace with those expectations. I went from sort of a child superstar to more like an average or below average adult. And because I had a really fixed mindset about it, that became really punishing to me. And I actually think luckily in response to that, I sort of inadvertently developed more of a growth mindset in freestyle because when I started freestyle, I told myself I was never going to let that happen again. And I told myself 
you have to keep this casual. You can't make this your self-identity or it will crush you. And I think I was more successful, but definitely when I read The Growth Mindset, I realized there was plenty of room for improvement in adding more growth mindset to my freestyle game. Yeah, I think that child prodigy experience is very common, right? Like someone, like I can think of one specific example I've heard in a podcast that was really great, but what was it? It's like a, it was, it had to do with cycling and there was, there's this semi-famous women cyclist who was on the world tour and that's kind of all I knew about her, but she grew up swimming Mm -hmm. and from like child, from like, I don't know, four to high school, she was like the best at swimming. And when she went to college, she was in a whole another league. And she that was the transition from child prodigy to like okay adult. Yeah. And it crushed her. And I think it's yeah. it's so common. I if you just kind of think of random examples, if you think of like child actors, like how many child actors mm-hmm. end up being successful in the future. And there's other there's obviously other things that go into all of this stuff, but and a lot of athletes kind of find themselves a little bit later in their career, even if that's high school, but not a lot of elementary school stars or middle school stars <laughs> turn out to be the stars later. And I think part of that is kind of society's fault because we praise people for being prodigious in skill and we don't make them understand that it's work. And one more way to kind of make the point about avoiding challenges, because to me, that's the biggest one of the biggest aspects of this is fixed mindset causes you to avoid challenges. Here's a really bad analogy, but I think about this all the time for some reason. And Ryan, you can just cut this out if it's total blithering. But <laughs> I remember in middle school, we learned about a religious theory called predetermination. And I think it was a tenet of maybe Quaker religious beliefs in the United States. And predetermination was the belief that whether you went to heaven or hell, was predetermined when you were born and nothing you did in your life (laughs) could change whether you went to heaven or hell. Now you might think if you believed in predetermination, you would not put too much thought into what you did in your life because according to your belief system, what you did in your life didn't matter. But what happened instead is it caused (laughs) people to be arguably more vigilant about their behavior because they viewed their behavior as an indicator or sign of whether they were in the predetermined group that was going to heaven or hell. So if you believe (laughs) your status was predetermined, you would do really good things so that you could tell yourself, oh, I'm a good person. I do these good things. I must be in the bucket that's going to heaven. And I think there's a little bit of that in fixed mindset. So Mm -hmm. if you have a fixed mindset, you think, oh, I'm going to do things that I am successful at because that means I'm a successful person. But all of us, if you're growing at something, you will eventually reach the breaking point of your innate skill, whatever you want to call it. And you either have to take that challenge head on and grow from it, or you're going to steer away from it because you're afraid to kind of hold in your mind, here's something that I'm not able to do. And that is so devastating. I mean, if you just say it out loud, if you avoid things that are challenging, you're not going to be able to learn. Yeah. That reminds me of something else. So like you were talking about priming kids at a young priming kids, but like yeah. you can prime anybody. So like right now I'm like not competing as much, but I want to coach people. Yeah. And in the cycling podcast where I steal a lot of things from, they have this, uh, how does your coach and your parents work together? If you're like training a younger athlete and mm-hmm. there's roles and the parents, I didn't really think about this till they said it, but the parents should always give 100% positive, like they're always there giving positive feedback. That's the role of the parent. Like mm-hmm. they always say good job at the end of every competition or whatever practice, and they should always reward the effort. So that's like yeah. very important. And I think their point was the coach is the person who gives the critical feedback. So like the coach and the parents have to work together to like create this system where there's like a safe place where they're always getting this athletes always getting like rewarded from their parents, like a safe place. And then the coach like comes in and like, that's where it forces growth and adaption there. But I was like interesting interesting that, yeah, that there's roles. 
Well, it's interesting that you're explaining it that way because another thing that we've talked about, it's been a few years and I'm sure there's a way this blends with growth mindset, but we've talked a lot about clicker training. So Mm -hmm. when you train a dog, apparently the best way to do it, or at least one of the best ways to do it is to do something called clicker training. And under clicker training, you have a clicker device that just makes a little snapping, popping noise. And the first thing you do is you train the dog to associate positive behavior with the clicker. And you do that by just clicking. And every time you click, you give the dog a treat. So you teach, you teach the dog that clicker means treat, which means positive emotion or positive feeling. I need to be careful for reasons that will become apparent. And once you've trained the dog to associate the clicker with positive feedback, whenever you're teaching the dog how to do some trick or behavior modification, as soon as the dog does something right, you click. And unlike a treat, which kind of distracts and interrupts the training process, because if you're teaching your dog to jump up and do a flip in the air, the dog jumps, you want to reward the dog for the first jump, but you can't give them a treat while they're in the middle of the air (laughs) or you interrupt what they're doing. So the clicker is nice because you can give them that instant feedback. But there's another aspect of the clicker that's apparently really valuable that has been implemented in training humans to do things, which is that a clicker provides emotionless feedback. And so apparently there's evidence, I'm speaking off the cuff, I haven't looked at this in a long time, that putting positive emotions on positive feedback and negative emotions on negative feedback is detrimental to the learning process. Instead, it should be, for lack of a better word, emotionless. And as I'm thinking about this, I think the way this fits into growth mindset is that failing at challenges isn't a problem. So when you are doing something wrong, the feedback shouldn't be, you did a terrible job. It should be, that was incorrect. Let's move to, or let's find solutions to do it better. So do you, first of all, do you remember when we were talking about this a lot? Yes, but I think we we're both thinking of the same podcast, right? Didn't we I'm thinking, both? No, I think I listened to whatever you sent me. So I think this is okay. all from you. But what is your memory of it? Because I'm sure I got some of the details wrong. That was pretty much exactly right. It was a hidden brain podcast and there were the humans were surgical students and the surgical surgeon teacher was teaching them how to tie knots. Yeah. And they would click when they do the right thing. But I think here's one part that was really important. It's much harder to teach someone with a clicker than it is using whatever traditional methods of teaching because in order for the clicker training to be valuable or to work for humans, you have to break down the steps. So each step can have its own click and breaking down those steps in the appropriate way is really difficult when you think about it. And when I'm like teaching freestyle, I'm thinking about breaking down the steps into like clicker steps and it is much harder. And you have to like, I don't know, like empathize is not right the word, but like try and relearn it as the student. And is it something that it's harder to, When you say like it's harder to use clicker training training for humans because you have to break down into steps, do you mean that if you're able to do it and figure out the way to do it, it's better? Or do you mean clicker training is inherently not quite as good for teaching people because of this problem? No, I mean from the teacher's perspective. So this is regardless of the student. The teacher's job is much harder using clicker training. But from the student's perspective, it's better I think overall if the clicker if the teacher is good at teaching it that way yeah so I think I've strayed from clicker training a little bit with my Duke freestylers I was better at it the first year and I probably need to re kind of re-up my enthusiasm for it but there is one situation in particular where I use it a lot or my version of it which is when I'm actually outside of a jam showing someone a move and we're going step by step I try to do emotionless yeses and nos. So mm. <laughs> if they're trying to do something, I just say yes, yes, no, 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 yes. And even that, I think when we were studying it before is a little bit too much because yes, I know I have a certain emotional arc to them, but it's st- certainly better than being like, oh yeah, that's amazing. Or like, nope, that's wrong. <laughs> Don't do that. Just trying to make it really quick feedback and really emotionless feedback. And who knows if it has worked or not, or how it, I should probably ask someone like Will to be like, how does it feel when I do that? Does it seem weird or artificial or does it make sense to you? But I think there's something nice about it because it's obvious when you say out loud that 
there shouldn't be any negative connotation to doing something wrong when you're learning, but you need to know that it's wrong so that you can improve. Yep. I almost want a robot that can do it because like then there's this separation of emotion. If a robot is just being like a red light turns on when you guide us and something is off. I mean, there's no reason we couldn't bring out a clicker, you know, (laughs) I know I, I wanted to do clicker training with you for a long time. (laughs) Well, maybe when you come in February, you can clicker train some moves into me. Yeah. We'll have to try it. So there's another aspect though of growth mindset that we haven't mentioned yet, which is that people with fixed mindset often blame external factors for their failures. So for instance, if you lose a team sport, you say it's the official's fault or like if, you know, the, the wind, if the, (laughs) if the, we have the wind hadn't kicked in, I would have won that. So it makes sense that if your self-worth is tied up into your success at an activity, that if you're not successful at something, it's easier for you psychologically to blame external factors than to look inward about how you can improve. And this I think about all the time because once you hear about this, you see it everywhere. You just see people constantly blaming circumstances, which is just part of human nature. And there's probably something healthy about it, but you see it from particular kinds of people and you see it from people that you start to understand or people with really fixed mindsets about whatever the thing might be. Yeah, it's so true. I had that same experience where after I learned about it, I saw it in other people when they talk. And this might be one of those circumstances, the bad wind example, where I think about growth mindset the most. So again, I probably strayed from this recently. I'm glad we're having this conversation because it'll kind of remind me to do this. For a really long time, I did everything I could to avoid saying the wind is bad. And either I would say something, either I would say nothing at all. That was trying to my defaults. I wanted it to be other people complaining about it, not me. Or I would say this wind is really challenging. And that I do try to do more. And I think I do a somewhat good job of it. Anytime there's bad, whatever, I take the word bad out and I make it challenging. Mm. It's like, because it's the That's same a good thing. mental you're, hack. Yeah. Yeah. You're communicating the same thing. And again, Maybe the growth mindset is to not even communicate it. But if you are going to communicate it, you should do it in a way that puts it in a growth mindset framework of here are the conditions, quote unquote, bad conditions are very common. I need to practice working within these conditions and finding the best game I can within what I have. Yeah, that all makes sense. I totally use the the wind is bad excuse all the time. So is that... Could I have, could I be a better player if I just changed how I thought about it? So, yeah, well, here's the thing. And this is, I'm not sure this is totally a response to your question. And I think there's a version of this in predetermination to go back to that analogy, but the growth mindset can't tell you what to do all the time. So even though it's a really helpful tool that can guide you into learning things and learning things more quickly, there are times where you know you're facing a challenge and you have to overcome that challenge, but it's not obvious what the right path for overcoming is. So to take the bad wind example, if your goal is to be the best freestyler and your goal is to improve as a freestyler and there is nothing you can do about the bad wind, then the right answer from a growth mindset perspective is to play through that bad wind. But that might not be your goal. Start there. It might not be your goal (laughs) to be the best freestyler. And you might think my time is better spent elsewhere than freestyling right now. So there might be a growth mindset behavior that says, hey, these conditions aren't very good for freestyling. I could beat my head against the wall trying to play through them because I'm trying to be gung-ho about it. Or I could just move on to something else. So that that's that would be an appropriate growth mindset response. Or another appropriate growth mindset response would be, hey, you know, why don't I just take the extra 20 minutes, drive to the gym and play indoors for the next couple hours because I'll get more out of that than trying to play in this 35 mile per hour wind. So a lot of times there's different approaches you can take to solving a problem. And the growth mindset isn't necessarily going to tell you the solution to that problem. And I guess all this is to say that 
this isn't a cure-all for everything. There's going to be times you're not really going to know what to do. And I think more and more, I find myself in situations where I'm trying to take the growth mindset, but I don't know what the right path is. Experimentation. You mentioned goals, which I think is so important because I think a lot of people don't come up with their goal before they start. And it doesn't, I don't know if growth mindset is as powerful if you don't have a goal in mind because it's, it's like you're, you're making a lot of decisions, but you don't know where you want to go. So like, I think of fixed mindset, like you're trying to get to, you're like navigating, you're driving somewhere. And when a fixed mindset person like has an obstacle, they just like go around it. And when like, it doesn't matter if you don't have a destination in mind, like if you don't have your goal set, it like doesn't matter what kind of decision-making you're doing on the route unless you have your goal set. (laughs) Like, Yeah, so you're going different places, but you don't necessarily want to go there or have any reason to be there. Yeah, like I think the separation between fixed and growth mindset is less if you don't have a goal already in mind. And most people don't have freestyle goals. Would you think that's true? Yeah, I agree. And maybe it'd be interesting to give examples of goals that we've had throughout our career because they might be helpful for people to adopt if you're feeling a little bit rudderless in freestyle. So one I've always had and will always have my move list, which is just like a list of goals of here are things that I want to learn how to do or get better at. And sometimes they're really specific. Like I want to learn how to do NIFA. It's on my goal list right now. But sometimes they're much more generic. Like I want to get better at spinning the opposite direction on double spinning catches. Or I want to get better at counter. Or I want to get better at turnovers. So having those kind of goals are really helpful. And then how growth mindset would apply to that is if I'm practicing and I'm just doing all the stuff I'm comfortable with and hitting it and feeling really good about myself, I have to check myself and say, (laughs) am I moving towards my goals or am I just validating for myself that I'm good at freestyle by doing things I'm good at? And if it's the latter, then I check myself and I'm like, okay, let's just sit here trying NIFA over and over again and just watching the disc hit the ground and feeling like, Maybe in this moment, I don't feel like a great freestyler because I can't do what I'm trying to do, but it's helping me get to the place where I'll be a better freestyler. I tell, that's my new thing. I tell people this all the time now where it doesn't feel like you're progressing right now, but you are. Yeah. Like you, yeah. If anything, it's so important. <laughs> yeah. Working on the things you're bad at is always going to make you feel like you're not very good. And, but it's a sign that you're getting better. I think it kind of goes back to how I've talked about how there are a lot of times where, especially at the Duke freestyle scene, I feel like such a bad freestyler and I'm worried that they're all rolling their eyes at me because I'm supposed to be one of this <laughs> one of the best freestylers and I can't seem to do anything. And it is largely because I am trying to do all the things that I'm not comfortable with. But of course, you know, you have to kind of build up your tolerance for feeling like a bad freestyler sometimes to work through these challenges. And some of it is just reminding yourself of growth mindset of the reason I'm not playing well is I'm pushing my limits to try to get better things. But with all that said, I do think there's something somewhat healthy about every now and then, probably not a whole jam, at least in your home jam. But, you know, I I try maybe once a day or certainly once a week, I get a good throw and the wind's okay. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do some, something really dominant right now. That's totally within my (laughs) wheelhouse just to keep my own spirits up and to remind myself that I'm a good freestyler and make sure everyone doesn't think I'm a total chump out here. But after I do that, I go back to working on my flat foot taps and (laughs) dropping it over and over again. So um, there's something to that. Other goals, we're going to have a ranking podcast soon. And it's not unreasonable to say I'm ranked 400 in the world right now. And by the end of 2025, I want to be ranked in the top 50. And then you can start thinking about what can you do to make that happen. Start going to more tournaments, start practicing more, think a little bit more thoughtfully about picking partners and building routines, which are topics we've talked about before. Or just pick, you know, I want to win one tournament this year, or I want to win one round of one tournament this year. There's lots of random goals that you can set for yourself and then design your practice and jamming around those goals. Yep. Was one of your goals ever to be the best player of all time? Yeah, I think we talked about this at some point on the podcast, kind of offhand. 
but it was. And I think I said before, there's something like a little bit embarrassing about that. And it's a weird thing to say in the open, but I think a lot of people have that goal, whatever it is they do. And it's okay to have that as a goal, even if it's not always realistic or what you actually expect. Like in other words, it's okay to have a, your goals don't have to match your expectations, right? So someone mm-hmm. saying they want to be the best freestyle in the world, don't put them down and say they're being arrogant for thinking that. It's okay to have high goals. Um, it doesn't mean that's what you expect to have happen. But my goal of being the best freestyle in the world was always tempered a little bit by what I said before about what happened to me as a musician, where I didn't want a goal to become so consuming and so tied to my identity that it sucked the joy out of it. So even though it's always been a goal to be one of the best freestylers, it has always been a little bit tempered by don't let this take over your life in a way that's unhealthy. I'm sure there's been times where it's taken my taken over my life in a way that's unhealthy, but I've tried to keep some perspective because I didn't have that perspective when I was a musician. Mm-hmm. Wait, is there a specific, like I have specific like instances where growth mindset has helped me, but has there been like a very specific case for you in freestyle? I think the throw example I've given before was a big one where Roger told me I wasn't throwing very well. And instead of coming up with excuses for why he was wrong about that or just not thinking about it, I tried to address it head on and learn from it. I think growth mindset has helped me a lot in dealing with tournament results that I wasn't happy about. I think it's really easy to get discouraged when you lose, when you thought you should have won or whatever, whatever your goals are just not being met. But if you have a growth mindset, it's a lot easier to bounce back from that. And in some ways it's a good thing because sometimes you need that fuel to keep (laughs) wanting to get better. I think this, you know, this sounds pretty arrogant, I guess, but I think having been really successful for the last few years, it's been a little bit harder to stay motivated because I don't have that kind of fuel of here's what went wrong and here's how I'm going to do better. Or for instance, I don't really, there's no real freestyle goal that I haven't really satisfied. I feel the same way. Like I'm goalless because yeah. we did the points run. We, we succeeded. And then I didn't have another goal after that. Yeah. I'm kind of at the point where I have to, my goals are sort of handicapping myself and then seeing if I can see succeed despite the handicap of, you know, I, I don't need to go for doubles on my weak side, but I'm just going to do that because it makes it more challenging. And then I'd like to start playing with newer players, which we've talked about before and use that to make it more challenging, like put more weight on my performance to do well in tournaments. So I don't know, but on a micro level, I think is where growth mindset has helped me more because I think a lot of times when the conditions were bad, I kept playing because I thought about growth mindset. I think a lot of times where I was playing poorly in a jam or at a tournament and wanted to sit down and not keep playing because I guess I was embarrassed. I just said, I don't care. I'm just going to, I'm playing badly. Let's see if we can figure out a way to get out of playing badly and mm-hmm. develop that skills. So I think that, has played a big role for me, but what about you? Yeah. So the one specific example, this is also like how strong this is. So it was in 2017, you told me at Jam Canaria about the growth mindset and kind of explained it. And it took like a little, a few months to internalize, but I remember being at, it was Wiftif that year in the UK yeah. and I was playing with Mystic and we were getting ready to go out. So I was running the judging for that tournament. And I've been running the judging for a lot of turns before that. And in that moment, I realized I was using the judging's like organizing as an excuse. And what I would think to myself before going out and competing was I didn't warm up because I've been sitting here at the judging table getting everything ready. So it doesn't matter if I play well because I didn't warm up. But then I realized that when I'm practicing at home, I don't warm up. The first thing I do is I warm up with double spinning pulls when I practice and I can hit them like on the second try. And then after that, I'm like ready to go. 
I'm like, why can't I do that in the routine? And I went out and played with this with Mystic. And I was like, I'm going to play like I know I can hit this like I can in practice. And I was twice as good of a competitor after I made that realization. Yeah, that's a great example. So another one I just thought of, and I know this is getting a little self-congratulatory, but at Frisbeer this year, the morning of the first day of the tournament, I was leaving Jakob Kostel's house carrying some stuff and he has this metal gate and I was trying to close the gate after myself and this metal gate just smashes my index finger and it just fills up with blood and is completely unusable. And of course, your index finger as a freestyler is extremely important (laughs) and I just didn't have it. And it meant that, and and honestly, there was some secondary effects on my middle and ring finger so for that whole tournament i couldn't have a nail on that hand and i also had a lot of trouble throwing with that hand and i think a fixed mindset person probably would have not competed and had a really good excuse to say yeah i'm a freestyler (laughs) i've lost one of my hands and i'm not going to compete because i'm probably not going to play very well but i not only competed i made it my mission to overplay is like I want to completely mask that that hand isn't available and I'm going to overcompensate for it and see what can happen and so for instance I made it my mission to go for way more doubles and triples than I would have otherwise I was just like I I want to just smash through this tournament as if nothing is wrong and I think I got like first first and second it was one of my better tournament results I've had and Stuff like that's just a perfect example. Like You're not going to be able to do all the things you want to be able to do. You're not going to be able to perform at your best, but take it as a challenge to perform the best you can within the circumstances you have. I know. I think there's so many of those like short quips that are knitted onto pillows from like growth mindset is like the source of all of those things. Like when you close a door, like a window opens or something like that. Like, And well, I like it because it's like, it gives a, explanation for why those are quips it's the reason why that those sage aphorisms work and there's a psychological basis for it that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah like it's not just something your grandma says it's something that a stanford psychologist will tell you will now we know a lot better based so maybe one one thing that'd be fun or useful is to try to come up with different examples of fixed mindset we see in our sport just like common mistakes people make. So one we've talked about a lot, it's one of my biggest pet peeves, is when top players refuse to jam in part because they don't want to look bad. And sometimes that's because they're just honestly worried about jamming and looking like they're not as skilled as maybe their reputation would suggest. Sometimes it's because the conditions aren't very good. And so they're worried if they go out there, they won't look like a top player. Um, Or whatever, I don't know. But it's so rare for top players to jam very much when I go to events and I'm always really shocked and disheartened by it. I think it's a couple of things, but definitely what you just mentioned about not wanting to look bad is I would, I would agree that that is a major factor. I think it's the number one factor. And obviously Mm -hmm. people are going to come back and say it's because they're resting for the tournament. But one, sometimes this happens when it's not really a tournament. And two, our sport doesn't really tax you physically in a way that makes jamming unstrategic at a tournament. That was a lot of (laughs) confusing words. But you only have to play for three minutes. So you can execute peak physical abilities in three minutes, even if you've jammed a couple hours every day. It, yeah, there's like, yeah. No, go there's ahead, like, go ahead. There's a lot of experimentation in growth mindset. And I don't think people have even tried jamming for several hours and then doing the three-minute routine at full. Like, they haven't compared, like, they've done the haven't jammed all day and did the three minutes, but they haven't tried the jam all day and then do the three minutes to see if it actually affected them. Yeah, like, and I I... I guess that if we were at the level of cycling or the 100 meter dash where 
every tiny incremental advantage was that important. Maybe there's a view where you have to find some optimal level of playing before competing. But generally, I think people use it as a fixed mindset excuse as here's I'm not playing because I'm resting for the competition. And I actually think there's an aspect of it that's very unstrategic unintentionally, which is, for instance, at Milan, I try to jam maybe even more than normal because I was really trying to figure out what the deal with the conditions were. So I thought even if I'm a little bit more tired on the finals day, of course, we went inside in the end, but like even if I'm more tired, it's worth the risk of that to be just comfortable in my game and comfortable in the conditions. So, I mean, it's not surprising that just taking a few days off and then trying to compete in the finals is probably not a good idea. You want to <laughs> stay in the flow of your your game. But, you know, getting more than just a couple routine practice in, practices in, I think, is important to being ready to compete. I will say there's one tournament in my entire freestyle career where I jammed so much that it actually... Actually, yeah, there's two, but I'll give an example of one. Where I noticed something happened in the finals where I thought, oh, that would not have happened if I hadn't jammed 24 <laughs> hours in the last 36 hours, which is in Lazzaroni in 2013. With I was playing with Manu Chizari, and I just went for like a leg over and my leg just like cramped and did not go over and I hit the disc. I was like, okay, maybe I jammed a little bit too much. But one thing about that, which we've talked about before is, you know, especially if you're kind of a up-and-coming player and not necessarily a strong favorite, you're probably not going to win the tournament anyways. And it doesn't really matter that much whether you get fourth or fifth or seventh or eighth. So forget trying to win the tournament in the finals and use the tournament to become a better freestyler. So in five years, which we talked about before, you will win that tournament. Mm -hmm. So it was far more valuable to me to maybe lose one or two tournaments that I might have won because I was too tired to perform in the finals from over jamming. But I probably won 15 to 30 tournaments as a result of all the extra hours I got in. But again, I would still argue that I won more tournaments because I jammed, quote unquote, too much because I just was really comfortable in my game. I mean, if you play for four hours and you're reasonably well rested, you are in the zone for the two minutes that you need to play when you compete. Mm -hmm. And adrenaline is going to hide so many of your physical ailments that I don't think it's a big factor. Yeah. So like, here's a growth mindset thing. How, when was the last time you tried to improve like your pre-tournament prep or like you're at tournament, but the pre-routine prep, like your routine? I am constantly trying to improve my routine prep in every way. I mean, this year, one thing I experimented with was I had been talking with Toddy about how he prepares his discs because I think he always has really good discs. And he was telling me about how he kind of buffs them with a dry cloth. And it never made sense to me to do that. So it was like, it's just a cloth. There's no sanding element to it. But he's <laughs> he's right. And I, I tried it and I, I got like eight discs out and I sat there and I took the, it's called the nipple off the bottom of the disc on like all these discs, which I never usually do. And sanded them and buffed them and washed them. So I'd never done all that before. I don't think we use my, my disc at Worlds, but I brought them. <laughs> um, I've experimented a lot with whether I play right before I compete, how much I play right before I compete, and what I do right before I compete. And I feel like I'm coming towards a mostly optimal strategy for me, but I still am very comfortable experimenting to see what's better. Yeah, I think the experimentation is so important, especially... Like, I don't know if this is hard for you, but you already have, or you mentioned you're like almost at the fully optimal uh, prep or like routine. Routine is yeah. a bad word because it also means like the routine in the choreo. Just pre-routine. Yeah, like what you do before you go out and compete. But do you think there's something that's completely different that you could be doing now that would improve and would you go back and try it and be like, maybe sitting and meditating and not warming up at all is like better? Than no, absolutely. That's another great point. And I, I do think this relates to growth mindset, but it also kind of relates to sunk costs where people are sort of <laughs> afraid to move from what they've already done in the past 
because moving on from what you've done in the past to do something better kind of invalidates everything you've done before. So I'd say I'm definitely willing to just be like, you know what? It's the final worlds. I don't care. I'm going to try meditating and see what happens. And I actually have meditated specifically before world tournaments. And I do a kind of variation on that before I compete now. But I like what I, what I'm hearing is kind of a theme from you on growth mindset, which is growth mindset as a, as a reason to experiment of I'm going to try something different to see if this helps me improve. And I think another aspect of it is people who have fixed mindset assume whatever they're doing is the best way to do it. And <laughs> I, I think this relates to like another one of my kind of fundamental life philosophies, which is being skeptical of my own knowledge. But you have to be comfortable saying I do this because you know, I was told to do it or tradition or momentum, but very rarely do we ever know that what we're doing is the best way to do something. Mm -hmm. And really the only way would be to do a double blind, you know, placebo study of (laughs) some new method. But because we don't really have the means or resources to do that, the best thing we can do is experiment with ourselves and see if we think we're performing better based on changes in our whatever my favorite part of the Growth Mindset book is this one line that's, your true potential is unknowable and like no one can know it. It's like it's out there and the only way to find it is experimenting, I think, or just trying different things. Like my thing that I tell people now is I'm pro-mistake. Like you should yeah. just make as many mistakes as you can. They're not bad. You're just learning all these different I, things. <laughs> it's funny. I tell my new freestylers a lot when they're learning something. I say, I want you to drop it. I'm like, stop trying to catch that. Like, like if you're <laughs> yeah. making a mistake, I'll give you an example. So like I'm working on this double leg over variation where it's like a grapevine set into a double leg over. And I kept messing up. And I realized part of why I was messing up is I was trying to get the disc after the double leg over. And I said, <laughs> no, no, no. I need to stop trying to succeed at the move and just work on getting my legs over. So it's like I no longer <laughs> care about whether I drop the disc, I want to drop the disc. My goal instead is an intermediary step, which is just focus on setting the disc up, ignoring it, and just throwing my legs over it. And we'll work on the catching part later. But it's a good example of one, just a general learning strategy, but two, a kind of embracing the mistake. Like Use the drop, the thing that you don't want, to help you build up towards what you want to do. Yeah. Do you think a big part of growth mindset is analyzing what happened in the past? Like, I think fixed mindset people will just discard any failures. I think it's analyzing the past, but with an eye towards the future. So you don't want to ruminate, but you do want to analyze and then figure out what you can do differently in the future to avoid the negative outcome. So this brings you to another example of common instances of fixed mindset I see, which is blaming the judging system and or the judges for not performing well. And that's a classic fixed mindset strategy of I didn't perform the way I thought it thought I should have. I don't want to acknowledge that maybe I didn't perform as well as the other teams or acknowledge that I could have performed better. So I'm going to blame something external, the judges and the judging system. And the problem with that is from our perspective, because we get a lot of these complaints, most of the time, the judges and the judges' perspective wouldn't have really mattered. It's like (laughs) you would have lost anyways, which we talked about in the judging system podcast, so I won't go into more details about it. But the mindset I always try to have, which I know I mentioned on the podcast before, is next time I need to perform in a way in which they can't take it away from me. So I need to perform so well that no matter what the judging system is or who the judges are, I'm going to win. And just working on getting better. So when I analyze tournaments where I didn't perform as well as I expected to, I try to think, even if some part of me intellectually believes it's true that this, that, or the other caused the problem, I'm going to figure out the growth mindset set of solutions I can use to get better in the future. So here's actually another aspect that I don't know if we've ever talked about, which is there probably is a certain amount of delusion that goes into the growth mindset. So I think sometimes 
there was an external factor that causes you to lose, <laughs> but you have to be, you have to delude yourself that it's something you could have done better at and using that delusion to fuel you to get better. So here's, okay. Yeah. Here's yeah, what no, I think go about ahead. that. Yeah. So the, I say this all the time, but the world is very complex and there's like the judging system and the judges and there's me, but the only thing I can control is me in this situation. And so yeah. I think a big part of growth mindset is realizing that that's the only part that you can control is yourself. Yeah. And how like your interactions with everything else changes. Like you can, I don't know when you're competing, you can do something, you do your move, but you do your move a little bit differently. So the judges see it a little bit differently. Like that's how you can affect the judges. It's not after the round talking to the judges. It's you have to like, how do you interact with the judges in this complex simulation? And like maximizing all of those interactions, I think is like, that's what I like about growth mindset. Yeah. And it relates to a, another philosophical theory that people might be familiar with, which is stoicism. So stoicism is a philosophy that's a lot about how you can only control yourself, your own actions and your emotional responses to the world around you. And it's tries to focus people on using the one thing they have, which is themselves to respond to the world around them rather than blaming the world around them for the problems. So there's definitely a lot of growth mindset in stoicism. Yep. Um, there was something else you reminded me of. So I'll give one example of diluting yourself a little bit. And I'm so loath to do this, but I feel like this is going to come up at some point. And I won't be, I'll be somewhat unspecific about it, but I think everyone will know what I'm talking about. So there was one major tournament that I lost that I really felt was because of a judging problem or a judging bias. And even though intellectually, I believe it was a judging problem, I used it as much as I possibly could to fuel me through a growth mindset lens. So that's where I really built up in my brain the idea of don't let them take it away from you. So even though that was a situation where maybe it wasn't right that I didn't perform the way I thought I would, it still could be used as a way to say, well, what can we do to be so far ahead of everybody else that there's no way we can lose? And I think it's been really helpful for me. It's definitely, it definitely provided a lot of fuel for me to keep getting better. And it kind of gave me goals that I wouldn't have had otherwise because I was kind of running out of ways to succeed in freestyle. And it was kind of nice to get that punch in the gut to give me a little bit more motivation when, you know, maybe I felt like I was at a stalled, stalled plateau. So I was wondering if you were going to bring that up because I was also thinking about that moment. But thinking back, I think the thing that surprised me most was how fast you made the transition from being like everyone is going to be upset initially, but like one hour later, you're like, I'm going to be twice as good next year. <laughs> and this is never going to happen again. Yeah. I mean, you have insight into that because we went and had dinner after that happened. And then I had a long plane ride home to think about it. But I was actually going to say this at some point. How often when we're talking to each other, do we just say growth mindset? And it just comes up <laughs> all the time. It's just part yeah. of our lingo. And we've said it a lot on the podcast. And we always said we talk about talk about it more, which is why we're doing this now. But there's so many times where we're doing whatever we're doing and we're talking about whatever we're talking about. And one of us <laughs> is like, yeah, but, you know, growth mindset. So, you know, let's try this. So <laughs> and I think a lot of times it comes up in this kind of diluted setting. I mean, where we say like, oh, well, like I think this happened because of X, Y, Z, but growth mindset, I'm going to do whatever. Like I'm going <laughs> to respond in this way. So it's it's hard, but it's it's it becomes really second nature. I feel like at this point, every time I have a problem, the words growth mindset pops up in my head and I think about it and it's so empowering. Like it's almost, this is almost the best, this is almost too powerful a tool for us to give to the freestyle <laughs> community. It's, I think it'll make a lot of people better, but I, I think I want the sport to get better and 
I think everyone deserves to know about this because I think it's so powerful. Yeah. I mean, my next goal is to be the best coach. So this is just helping my, it's right in line. Yeah, I'm a little nervous that people will view this episode as too preachy or self-helpy, but I hope people will appreciate it and enjoy it. I'm trying to think of my, my goals have become much more life oriented, even in the context of freestyle. So a lot of it's been trying to find a balance in freestyle because a lot of times I'm all or nothing on a lot of things and I'm either practicing every day really hard to get better or I, you know, kind of binge not freestyle (laughs) and I'm sort of at a point in my life where it's not really possible to do freestyle with the intensity I used to do, but I need to not let that keep me from doing it at all. You know, I need to figure out a way to do it in moderation. Yeah. (laughs) Moderation. And, and then I'm also trying to, it's almost, this is kind of a weird way to put it, but I'm almost trying to build a totally new freestyler who's probably not as good as me, but in my brain, you know, like I want another freestyler who has a totally different game that does everything the opposite way and does like different kinds of moves. And I would, never use that freestyler if it was a space jam and the world was on the line because that freestyle mm-hmm. will never be as good as i am but kind of it's almost like starting the game over again and playing it <laughs> as the first time i played it through i was a melee character and this time i'm going to be a, a sorcerer or something and <laughs> the sorcerer is not going to be as good as the melee char- character but it will be a different character and it'll be a different experience so it's a little bit more amorphous so it's not quite as helpful as goals i've had in the past but it's fun to imagine like the way I kind of like to think about it is it would be really cool to pull up a routine in 2025 and compare it to a routine in 2016 and say the freestyler who competed in 2025 did none of the moves that the freestyle in 2025 did mirrored or matched the moves that the 2016 player did. That's not to say they're better. Just at no point did 2025 me spin off my left shoulder at no point did i do a righty flamingitis like everything will be different sets of moves at a high level even if it's not the same level yep that's like really shows off your completionist <laughs> like motivation you're <laughs> that's a good way it's to like put you're, it. like, you're in the end game you're yeah it's like the end game of freestyle frisbee you're just looking for new things to do waiting for the expansion pack to come out i do think i play video games like i freestyle so I played a lot of Elden Ring last year and a little bit of this year because my friend was playing it. And Elden Ring is a game where you have a character that you can level up and there's very different paths that you can take. So that's kind of what I was thinking about with my example just now. Like you can be a melee warrior or you can be a spell casting sorcerer or you can be a like religious faith-based incantation or whatever. So there's like all these different types of characters you can be. And when I was at the end of that game, I was collecting all the like sorcerer and faith-based stuff, even though that wasn't my character. And the friend who has playing was like, why do you need that stuff? I was like, I don't. I'm never going <laughs> to use it. Like it's far inferior to my melee weapons, but I'm just going to have them just in case. <laughs> so there's something broken in my brain that makes me want to have all the different things just in case I might need them uh, in the future. And But luckily, like, freestyle in a lot of things in our lives there's no true end point like we do this for fun so there's no reason not to just keep going and keep learning whatever you know it doesn't matter i'm not i don't need to win more world titles i'm not gonna like your driving example i'm not gonna like get to the end of the freestyle destination and be like oh i'm here i did it so i have to find you know new avenues like you know maybe freestyle is an endless road but you have to take different branches to keep going and you're just sightseeing now (laughs) yeah i'm just trying out different branches and seeing what's there and it it keeps it fresh Uh, and then one last goal i have is definitely to groom a world champion so i'm very excited Mm -hmm. about one of my duke freestylers winning a world title and feeling like i had a role in it even if it's not competing with them but just coaching them kind of like you said i know you've mentioned this fantasy to me where you have your prodigy student and i have my prodigy student and we're competing against each other 
I know it's unfair that I have a head start, but maybe what we have to do is when you move here, one freshman class, we just both pick someone. Maybe we have a draft <laughs> where we both oh, okay. pick like a couple people. And then it's like, all right, who wins a world title first with one? And again, not us winning, but like which one of us will teach someone who will win a world title and we'll see who succeeds. That would We'd be so motivating. Very different approaches to teaching yeah, them. We I would. Think. I'd be out there with my clicker, be like, "What is this guy doing?" <laughs> on the field? Oh man, it'd be so fun. Okay, yeah. is there anything else on the growth mindset? No, I think we covered everything. Okay, or we didn't, but we'll figure out through analysis and effort what else to talk, <laughs> what else to say about it. Um, but great, I hope this was helpful everybody. We're going to have more podcasts about the mental aspect of freestyle. And I'm sure growth mindset will come up a lot in all of our conversations. So hopefully this will be a helpful starting point for people to understand what we're talking about. And with that, check us out at clockorcounter.com. We're going to have a new episode soon about the ranking system, which will be out probably before you hear this episode. So look forward to that. And with that, Ryan, I'll talk to you next week.